Warning, warning, warning. This message is dangerous to your flesh. Next to the subject of money, the subject of marriage relationship is very hard and explosive for a pastor to handle. But since I only tell you what the Scripture says, I pray that you not only be challenged, transformed, but be blessed in the process. What really compounds the problems in our society when it comes to marriage and husband-wife relationship is that there are so many conflicting voices on the subject. There are so many self-made experts on the subject. There are so many opposing views on the subject, so many arguments over the subject. And with the proliferation of media that we have now like no other time in history, there's so many self-styled advisors and counselors all vying for attention, and they're all trying to sell you a book. Actually, I was thinking about this. With all of this happening in our culture today, I am surprised that we're not in a bigger mess than we are in. Here's even a greater problem. There are so many professing Christians who get their advice from those self-styled experts in the media. The way I visualize this sometimes is like a group of day laborers. I thank God for day laborers. But a group of day laborers who are building a skyscraper without architectural blueprint. Just think about this. All of these television shows that parade themselves as self-experts and and self-styled experts, and many of them have their own failed marriages. I mean, it would be like a medical student who had failed his medical exam six times, but then he comes on television to give you advice on your health. Or a, a law student who graduated but keep failing his board examinations, and then all of a sudden he's on radio and television giving you advice, legal advice. <laughs> Think about this. Well, at least I read about an honest one of those Hollywood uh, guys, Rodney Dangerfield, talking about he and his wife. He said, we eat apart, we take separate vacations, we don't see each other, we are doing everything we can to keep our marriage together. <laughs> And that is why when it comes to the home and the marriage of a transformed identity, those who have identity being transformed in Christ, you can and you should go no further than the Word of God. Amen? The God who made us, the God who loves us, the God who redeemed us, the God who constantly watching over us and over every need we have, He has given us the blueprints in His Word. He's given us all that we need to know in His Word. He not only provides us with the architectural blueprint, but He's constantly supervising the process of building our homes and our marriages. And so, if you would turn with me, please, to 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning at verse 1 to 7. Some of you perhaps thought of the question, How come that Peter dedicates six verses to the wives and only one verse to the husbands? Now, if you ask that question, that's a great question. I'll give you a Yusuf answer, because men have short attention span. (laughs) Now, let me give you 
the real answer from the Word of God to that question. The Apostle Peter, guided by the Holy Spirit, writing to these new believers in Roman society, in Roman culture. In Roman culture, they were expecting the wife to always follow the husband's religion. If he decides to add one, two, or three, or more gods to the household gods, she goes along. Women did not have much of a say back then until the Christian faith came in. And please make no mistake about it, the Christian faith is the women's liberation faith. Amen. And so when the Christian faith came in, appeared in Roman society, it created a problem. Now, it did not create a problem if the husband came to Christ first, because if he came to Christ first and believed in Jesus first, then the family followed. The wife and the kids followed him. But the problem arose when the wife came to Christ first. That created a huge problem. And that is why the Apostle Paul addresses this in 1 Corinthians in details. So given men's temperament back then, husbands perceived when their wives became Christian believers, they perceived that as a threat to their manhood. Men saw this as a front to their absolute authority over the family. History tells us that back then, a wife could ask her husband or suggest to her husband to add one or two or three or more gods to the household gods. And the husband often went along with her because the more gods, the merrier. <laughs> I mean, they want to get protection. They want to get blessed over any god of nature, god of prosperity, god of this. Add them in there. That's fine. Ah, but the problem came when these pagan men could not understand the exclusive nature of the Christian faith. They couldn't understand that. What do you mean we have to abandon all these gods and only worship one? <laughs> we need more gods, not less gods. Who is this new God who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life? You see, because of this type of situation, it created an upheaval in the marital relationship in Roman society. And so Peter spent six verses speaking to the Christian wife who has an unbelieving husband. And for the believing husband, when he comes to the Lord first, he only tells him, you need only one thing. A believing husband needs to do one thing. It's in verse 7. I'm going to come to it in details. That the husband is to be thoughtful, caring, supportive, nurturing, sensitive, and considerate. That's it. It's not much. As I'm preparing this, I actually remember the cartoon years ago of a wife has her arms folded and superior look on her face saying to her husband, he said, a good husband needs to be strong, loving, and sensitive. You have all but three of these qualities. <laughs> but in reality, if you examine the Scripture closely, you're going to find that Peter gives more responsibility in one verse to the husbands than the six verses to the wife. Now that you know why, it's six verses, verses one, we just look at the passage. There are four things that I want to share with you. For those of you who are taking notes, I'm going to speak a little slowly 
so you can write them down. Four things I want to share with you from this Word of God. A believing wife does not need to use words in her witnessing to her husband. That's verses 1 and 2. Secondly, he is speaking to a a believing wife married to a non-believing husband. He's saying, your inner beauty of character is your greatest strength. Verses 3, 4, and 5. Thirdly, he says, your submission and obedience to God will set you free from fear. Verse 6. And then verse 7, the secret of blessing is in the husband's knowing and serving his wife. All right, let's unpack this. First of all, verses 1 and 2, you don't have to use words in your witnessing to your unbelieving husband. Likewise, wives, submit to your husbands. (laughs) I know the word submit or submission. It creates heart palpitation. In fact, I know there are some people that I used to know in my old church where they used to hyperventilate at the word submission. But the Bible also said that we have to submit to one another. They leave that out. You see, when the Bible said in Ephesians, for the man to love his wife as Christ loved the church, he is placing the onus on the husband. Because a person can submit without loving, but you cannot love without submitting. And here Peter is saying that sometimes when a new believer like a new believing wife, in their zeal, in their vim and vigor, in their delight in the salvation of the Lord. They are anxious for their unbelieving husbands to come and experience the same thing. They want them to experience forgiveness. They want them to experience the peace of God. They want them to experience this inexplicable love of God through Jesus Christ. And so in their zeal, they can end up, please excuse the expression, nagging their husbands. Hear me right on this one. Since conversion and since salvation is a God thing, it's a God thing in its timing, it's a God thing in its circumstances, it's a God thing in the circumstances surrounding salvation, and therefore, he is saying, you need to trust God with your husband's salvation. You need to trust God with all of your heart instead of harping on Him. Your harping at Him will not speed the timing for their salvation. (laughs) You beating Him over the head with it is counterproductive. Just trust God. Trust God's timing. He is not saying you ignore your unbelieving husband or not answer his questions if he asked about the faith. No but rather demonstrate the character of Christ to him. And that is why, in the last message, Peter sets the stage for all of us, young, old, husband, wife, single, married, doesn't make any difference. He sets the stage for all of us to follow what Christ modeled for us, that when he experienced injustice as he went through to the cross, he trusted his Father's justice. You see? And here he applies it in a marriage relationship. He applies it specifically to that marriage relationship in Roman society. The main part of the process of identity transformation, listen to me, the main 
part of this process <laughs> is becoming Christ-like every single day, more every day, more every day. Now, let me stop here and have a word from the Word to the single people. Single people, young people, students, there is a word from God for you. And you need to remember this later on when you're dating and getting married. <laughs> Don't forget it, okay? You can write it down if you want to. Very simple. Don't marry an unbeliever. That's it. Second <laughs> Corinthians 6.14 says, Don't become unequally yoked, because that's going to be unbearable. Now, remember this when the time comes, okay? If you start dating an unbeliever thinking that you're going to change him or you're going to change her, think again. If you get involved with an unbeliever with the hope that you might convert him or her, what you're doing is you're putting God to the test. Listen, you have to understand that Peter speaking to an unbelieving couple who's one of them, the wife, came to Christ first. Remember that. And so, you don't have to use words in your witnessing to your unbelieving husband. Secondly, he says, your inner beauty of character is your greatest strength. I know every culture and every age, and I lived in three or four of them, (laughs) in every culture, every age, they have their own idea of what beauty is, okay? Today in America, the unrelenting pressure on young women is unbelievable. I shudder when I see the unrealistic pressure that women are under today. I really do. I mean, they want women to wear size 2 and have size 50 in confidence. It's unrealistic. And that is why when your identity is being transformed by Christ in Christ, your confidence should be in Him alone. Back in Peter's day, Roman women spent untold hours braiding their hair. They really did. It was the thing to do. And not only braid their hair, take a long time in braiding it and doing different styles, but they stick gold and silver in it and wear all kinds of jewelry. As a matter of fact, there are some historians who have said that sometimes a wife would have the entire family net worth on her hair. (laughs) And that's why he's saying what he's saying here. So what is the principle that we need to learn for us today? Listen carefully. Modesty and simplicity in dress, not to attract people's attention and make them envious. Paul addresses this problem of being dressed to kill, particularly in worship, in church. He does that three times. He does it in the Corinthian church, and he does it to Timothy in his writing. Why this dress to kill when you go to church should not be even thought about, should not be practiced? Because the emphasis when you go to church, the focus should be Jesus and not the provocative dress that takes men's eye off Jesus and on you. That's really the principle here, that the focus should be on the Lord. And Peter here is saying that there is a beauty 
that is far more powerful, far more precious, far more impactful, far more arresting, and that is the beauty of a godly character. Ladies, listen to me. Peter is not saying that you should go around looking haggard. No, that's not what he's saying. Not at all. But look nice, by all means. But let your husband see your inner beauty. Someone said a beautiful young person is a, an accident, but a beautiful older person is a work of art. <laughs> the inner beauty of a gentle spirit means that you're not always critical. It means that you're not always pushy and assertive. It means that you're not whining and complaining all the time. It means that you're not always an expert on every subject all the time. I see elbows flying everywhere. It means that you are not forever pouting or or that you're constantly putting your husband down and always pointing to his weaknesses. But rather, the beauty of character is manifested in your words of encouragement to Him, in your words of wisdom, in your words of wise counsel. When you speak, people are uplifted and encouraged. And so first, you don't have to use word in witnessing to your unbelieving husband. Secondly, your inner beauty of character is your strength. And thirdly, your submission to God will set you free from fear. Will set you free. Look at verse 6 with me. Now, I want to remind you of the message before last. When Peter said, for a transformed identity in Christ, it is manifested by all of us, every single one of us, young, old, everybody. We become a blessing. We become a blessing to our country. We become a blessing to those in authority. We become a blessing to our employer. We become a blessing in the workplace. We become a blessing in our community, in our homes. Remember that? How? By our submission to the law of the land, to one another in marriage, and to spiritual authority, and so forth. But listen carefully, because you have to understand this. I told you then, and I'm explaining again now, that in the Word of God, there are levels of submission. We're not all submissions the same level or equal. No. Submission to God is higher than submission to the law of the land and those in authority. So, if the law of the land forbids you from obeying the Word of God, you say what? No. See, there's a level of submission. Then the submission to government authority is above submission to your employer. And so if your boss asks you to do something illegal, you say what? No. And here it says the same thing to wives. Submission to God comes above your submission to your husband. So if your husband asks you to sin, what do you say? Verse 6, if you do right, that is submitting to God, then you have nothing to fear. Peter is saying that a believing wife in the Roman culture or any culture, when you are living in obedience to God, when you are living in obedience to the Word of God, you will have joy in ministering to your unbelieving husband. If you place God first, if you place God's Word in its rightful place, 
then your unbelieving husband will be a blessing to you, even though he's not a believer. If you honor God first, if you honor God's Word, then you will have confidence and inner peace uh, which the world can never understand. And that is the bottom line here. If you fear God, you'll fear nothing else. Did you get that? If you fear God, you'll fear nothing else. And so he says, first, you don't have to use words in your witnessing to your unbelieving husband. Secondly, your inner beauty is your greatest strength. And thirdly, your submission to God will set you free from fear. And fourthly, and finally, and here comes the big one, Christian husbands, you must know everything that is to be known about your wife. Why? So that you may minister to her, so that you may serve her adequately. I told you there's more responsibility in one verse for the believing husband than six for the believing wife. Guys, I want you to think this with me. Just think with me through this, okay? The great psychologist, Freud. You know what I'm talking about? Freud? You know the psychologist? Uh, Freud. I saw it. It's my accent. I always blame my accent. He said, who can understand women? The Word of God is saying, forget fraud. Forget him. Because by the power of God, the Holy Spirit, you can know your wife intimately. And that is to know more than just how she likes her coffee or tea. This is to know what brings her joy and what pains her. That is to know what encourages her and what discourages her, to know what lifts her up and what pulls her down, to know what blesses her and what put dreads in her life. You are to study your wife like studying for comprehensive examinations. you got to know everything about the subject. And that's what it means to live according to knowledge. In fact, that's accurate translation. That is, you know everything about her. It means that you know when she wants to talk to you and when she doesn't. And if she wants to talk to you while you're watching your favorite sports program, don't mute that darn thing, just turn it off. Hello. (laughs) Not getting too many amens here, I understand. (laughs) That's all right. You know I'm speaking truth because that's the Word of God. And 45 years also helps, (laughs) because I made my fair share of mistakes. I need to tell you that living with your wife according to knowledge is not the same as pandering to your wife. Did you get that? Living with your wife according to knowledge is not the same as pandering or just going along for the sake of going along. And I'm going to tell you why this is important. It's not just same as giving in, so you just cut the discussion and you don't have to, to talk anymore. No. Why? Because pandering will backfire sooner or later. Pandering or just giving in to get along will not get you in absolute agreement, heart, soul, and mind. 
And when you don't have an absolute agreement, heart, soul, and mind, your prayers will not be answered. It's going to be hindered from being answered. Pandering or just giving in does not get your prayers answered. Listen to me. (laughs) Coming together in agreement, and I'm talking about total agreement, not just, well, I'll go along with you, and I'm talking about total agreement, is going to get God to answer your prayers. Look at verse 7. So that nothing will hinder your prayers. Now, beloved, let me tell you something. Through the years, there are certain words of the Lord Jesus I've studied more than other words, and I probably studied more about Jesus' promise when two of you agree on something on earth, be answered in heaven. That have always flabbergasted me, and I wanted to know. And I studied it, and I studied it, and I studied it. And I came to a conclusion. You want to hear it? I don't understand it. It's the absolute truth. It's the absolute truth. But, listen carefully, I thoroughly believe it, and we have practiced it, and we have seen God again and again and again being faithful to fulfill that promise. Here's a warning. Here's a warning. The devil knows that there is power in agreement in prayer between husband and wife. He knows that there's power in prayer when there's absolute agreement with two brothers in Christ or two sisters in Christ in a church. He knows that. And so what does he do? He works over time to divide us, divide our homes and divide our marriages and divide our families, divide our church leaders. Why? to neutralize the power of agreement and answer to prayer. When a husband and wife come in absolute agreement, heart, soul, and body, and mind, on an issue that is honoring to God, consistent with the Word of God, brings glory to God, God will move with power. He will. He has. I've seen it too many times to doubt it, and I know many of you have too. But I need to warn you, I need to warn you, the opposite is true. The book of Acts chapter 5 tells us about the husband and wife who agreed to lie to the Holy Spirit, and they both dropped dead in front of the church. Let me ask you this. What is keeping you from coming into agreement. Is it a sin in your life? Is it selfishness? Is it lack of faith and trusting in the promise of God? You know what it is. I don't. I know it is my life. You know it too. Whatever it is, will you give it up today? Father, I'm so grateful that the Word of God tells us that you, Holy Spirit, pray in us and within us when we don't know how to pray. And so the only prayer that I have right now in the name of Jesus, for me and my wife, for every couple in this church who are watching around the world, Father God, whatever it is that is hindering answers to prayer, 
Whatever it is that's stopping us from coming in total agreement in glory and honor of Jesus, will you remove it by your power? And so that we begin to truly see your hand working in all the homes, one home at a time. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.